Welcome to the Tommy Lanham Podcast, where you will discover how to embrace your weird, organize your dreams, and ignite your enthusiasm. And now, here's Tommy. Ready? Here we go. We've looked at that word enthusiasm and how it means that God-inspired fire ignited deep within our soul that drives us to never settle, to live with passion, and to turn the world upside down. Last night, we looked at how we can embrace our weird. Every one of us are weird. Every one of us are different. We have oddities. We see things differently. We act things out differently. But God has created us in those specific ways in order to serve Him in a specific way, for a specific purpose. And so embrace that. That's the way God created you. It's going to be very difficult to live a life full of enthusiasm if you're trying to be somebody that you're not. Okay? Now, with each one of those personality styles, and we didn't really get into this last night, there is a, a characteristics of each one in how you perform in an immature way and how you perform in a mature way. And obviously, we want to continue to be growing in our relationship with God. And as a result of that, we grow... In our personality style, we, for instance, and this is just a quick one, with a body. Body, remember, they're the thrill-seeking personalities. They're the ones least likely to grow up, if you know what I mean. But uh, they're fun to be around. They're hun- fun to, to have around when you, you want to liven things up. But sometimes, man, they can just throw everything out of whack because it's all about the fun. Let's have fun. Let's do this. And you can't get things done. Taken to an an immature extreme, that could be extremely counterproductive. But as a body matures, it doesn't mean they lose the fun. doesn't mean they lose their personality. doesn't mean they give that up. They just... They're able to live that out in a more mature way. They still bring fun to the group. They still bring fun to the, whatever the project is. They still need to be active. They're just able to handle that in a more mature way. And so we grow through that process. But that doesn't mean your personality, it doesn't mean you try to change your personality. Don't change your personality. You will never be happy trying to change who you are. Grow in who you are, but don't try to change in who you are. Here's the fallacy that oftentimes we do when we're talking about personality styles, and I've even heard people teach this. They will teach the four different personality styles, and then they'll look at each one and they'll say, okay, here's what you need to work on, and they bring out characteristics of the other personality styles. And there's a grain of truth in that, okay? My suggestion, and and a lot of people agree with me on this, you spend about 80% of your time performing in your strengths. About 20% of your time working on your weaknesses. Oftentimes we try to switch that. Oh, I'm good at this. Here's something I'm not good at. So let me just work. Let me work at this. Let me improve this. John Maxwell, in teaching about performing in your strengths, he says... On a scale of 1 to 10, for the most part, we may be able to affect that scale in any area of our life about two points. So, if you are a 2 in something, 
and you work really hard at it to get a whole lot better, you might get up to a four. And four is average. However, if you are already a seven in something, and you work real hard at it to improve a whole lot, you may get up to a nine. And then John Maxwell says, people pay money for nines. So yeah, we need to work on our weaknesses. And, and when I'm talking about weaknesses, I'm not, I'm not talking about sin. Sin is something we all, <laughs> we all struggle with and have to work through and, and grow in that relationship. <laughs> when I'm talking about, you know, for instance, if, if you're an extrovert instead of an introvert, it doesn't mean that you have to work on scaling it back. You work on connecting with people. You're outgoing. You're talkative. You, you do that rather than try to become more introverted. And if you're an introvert, and we live in a world that tries to change introverts, tries to make introverts more extroverted, but that's the way God created you. So don't worry about it. Just be the best introvert that you could be for God and His glory. Okay, you'll grow in that, you'll mature in that, and maybe, you know, 15 to 20 percent of your time and effort and energy, you may focus on becoming a little more talkative, connecting a little better, something like that. But don't spend the majority of your time on that because you're an introvert for a reason. God created you that way because he wanted to use you exactly the way he created you. Now, I went into that a little more than when I was planning, but I just, I just love this stuff. Tonight, we're going to talk about organized dreaming. Oftentimes, when we talk about dreaming, we talk about coming up with these grandiose dreams, these things, and we, we do this with our little children, don't we? You can be anything you want to be. What do you want to be when you grow up? And they say these, these crazy things, and we go, you can do that. If you just work at it, if you work hard, you, you'll, you'll be able to do that one day. But then as they get older, what do we tell them? Well, you've got to be practical. God save us from practical people. <laughs> I mean, have you ever read the scriptures? There's some crazy things that took place in there. It wasn't very practical for Joshua to lead the army around those walls of Jericho to bring those walls down. That wasn't practical. You, you don't look at that in some kind of strategy book and go, well, this is what worked. But it worked. Why? Because that's what God called him to do. It was crazy. It seemed insane. But that's what God called him to do. And it worked. Why? Because they obeyed. They obeyed. And I believe that God has a dream for every one of us. And some of us... We really bought into that when we were younger, but somewhere along the way we've lost it. Maybe somebody told us to be practical, or maybe life just kind of smacked us in the face, and we gave up on that dream. And some of us may have stuffed it down so low that we don't even remember what that dream is. But it's still there. It's still there. A God-given dream that He wants to do in you and through you. Now, one of my favorite dreamers in the Bible is Abraham. We get a summary of Abraham's life in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, 
It says, by faith, Abraham went to a land that he was called to go to, and he would later receive it as an inheritance, and he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. I mean, we're always telling people to know exactly where they're going, don't we? I mean, we want to have it all lined up. We want to have point A, point B, point C. Especially if you're a heart. You know, you've got, you've got your vacations all planned out, right? You know, you know what time you're going to leave, and it's typically early. You know what time you're going to have your first bathroom break and put gas in the tank. You know what time you're going to arrive. You know exactly what hotel room you're going to be in. You've got everything worked out. You know exactly what time you're going to do each thing throughout the vacation that you're there. And then you know exactly what time you're going to leave. You're going to have everything packed up and, and come back home. <laughs> A lot of us are like that, especially hearts, but many of the rest, I'm not a heart, but I have a little bit of that myself. I like to plan things out. I like to know ahead of time to some extent of what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, as a life coach, when I am working with clients, one of the things that I do with them is help them plan things out. But listen, sometimes we need to realize that God is bigger than our plans. God is bigger than what we can dream up, what we can put down on paper, what we can schedule out. Verse 8 in chapter 11 of the Hebrews says that Abraham obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Why? Because God called him to go. If we skip on down to verse 11 in that same chapter, it says, By faith, Abraham, who was past age... And Sarah, his wife, was her, her, she was barren. But it says he was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And then in verse 12, it goes on to say this. And from this one man, listen at this line. This is a description of Abraham, okay? Abraham was about 75 years old when he set out on this, on this trek. But it says there in verse 12 that from this one man, and he as good as dead. Man, isn't that what you want everybody to say about you? <laughs> I mean, this guy, this, his life's almost over. He's as good as dead. But then it goes on to say, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You ever tried to count the stars in the sky? That's a difficult task, isn't it? Almost as difficult as trying to count the sand on the beach. It's like an impossible task. And yet from this man who was so old that he was almost dead and Sarah couldn't have kids, his wife couldn't have kids anyway. And yet God gives him this dream, this vision can't you just imagine Abraham revealing this vision to Sarah when he goes, Sarah, I just had a dream. I just had a vision that God is going to create a whole new nation, a whole new humanity, a whole new epoch in human history through us. And Sarah goes, oh, oh yeah, Abe. How's this new humanity going to start? 
And Abraham gets a big smile on his face and goes, I'm glad you asked, Sarah. And both of them just fall back laughing. And what do they end up naming their first child? What was the name of their first child? Not Ishmael. That was, that was, that was the lack of patience on, on, uh, on Abraham's part. Who was the one, and that was Hagar, who was the one with, um, with Sarah? Who was his first child with Sarah? Isaac. It was like, which means what? Laughter. You're a joke, kid. You think your name was hard growing up? <laughs> Imagine having that name. You're a joke. And here's Abraham setting out, not knowing where he was going. Can't you just imagine this guy getting up and getting ready and setting out on this big journey? This old guy probably had trouble walking a little bit and he was just kind of wandering through there and people were saying, Abraham, where are you going? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. Then why are you going? Because God has given me a vision that I can do something great for him. Now that was Abraham's vision. What's yours? What is God wanting to do in you? And maybe that's already happening in your life. I don't know. I don't know you guys that well. Maybe he's already working in you. Maybe you're in the beginning stages of following that God-given dream. Or maybe you, you're deep into that and you're doing that and you're loving it. You are living a life of enthusiasm because you've already kind of tied into that. But maybe... Maybe you've had a tendency to kind of back off of that dream. Because it just wasn't the right time, or the money wasn't right, or you was at a wrong stage in your life, or whatever kind of excuse we could throw up. You know, it wasn't very practical for Abraham either. But he obeyed and went. And he was, he was 100 years old before Isaac was actually born. Before, they, before that dream began, that first step of manifestation, it was like a 25-year period. So just because your dream doesn't come to fruition immediately, that's okay. You're in good company, okay? You're in good company. We've got to understand that we are on God's timing. We're not on our timing. But just because it's not coming true doesn't mean we should give up on it. It doesn't mean that it's not supposed to happen. It doesn't mean that it wasn't our dream that God has given us. It just means that we need to continue moving forward, pressing on toward that God-given dream. I love the passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, when Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Do you realize we've got a God that's bigger than our imagination? Isn't that crazy? We've got to get, regardless of what your dreams are, what you come up, what you think of, listen, God can do immeasurably more than even that. If we just put our trust in Him and follow His lead, if we just obey and go, even though we may not know where we're going, 
We just need to obey and go. So this is my encouragement to you, okay? Dream big. Dream big. Dream about what it is that God is wanting to do in and through your life. Dream big. Secondly, pray bigger, okay? Pray about it. Pray about it on a daily basis, about what God is going to do in you and through you and how he's going to make that come true in your life and what it is that you need to do. What is your next step in that process as you and God work together to fulfill the dream that he has put in your mind and he has put in your heart? Dream big, pray bigger, and then trust biggest. Just put your trust in him. God's a big God. He can handle it. He can work through whatever problems you may be going through. If they're relationship problems, if they're financial problems, if they're career problems, whatever your problems may be. And I don't mean to downplay that. Listen, that's some serious stuff. I don't mean to come across as just kind of flippant. Oh, those aren't real problems. They are real problems that all of us go through from time to time. Listen, if you're not going through a problem, you either just got finished going through a problem or you're getting ready to go through a problem. <laughs> Problems are just, they're just real. They're there and they're heartbreaking sometimes. And they can knock the wind out of us. But that still doesn't change who God is and what he can do. God is a mighty God. Dream big, pray bigger, and trust biggest. I can't remember who it was that said this quote. I think it was Dallas Willard, but it may not have been. But, it, but the quote goes like this. I've never met a Christian who intended to live a mediocre life, but I've met a lot of mediocre Christians. Wow. See, God didn't call us to be mediocre. He didn't call us to be average. He did not call us to be mundane. I believe he called us to live with enthusiasm, to live with that zeal, to live with that God-inspired fire ignited deep within our soul that drives us to never settle, to live with passion, and to turn the world upside down. <laughs> so dream big. But here's the deal. Our dreams are more likely to come true if we organize them. If we organize those dreams. It's not just about getting off somewhere by yourself and just having this big imagination of all these things that might be possible. It's about then going to the drawing board and saying, okay, what's going to happen in order to make that happen? Now, we're going to, I'm going to run through some, just some, some easy steps, okay? When I first, first got into the, the spiritual growth and personal growth and development and that type of stuff... I got frustrated with all the things that I read on goals because it was like 25 steps to achieving your goals. I don't know about you, as a soul, you kind of lose me about halfway through that process. <laughs> you hearts, that may, be, it may work well for you, but as souls, not so much. And so what I did is I began to pull all the golden nuggets that I could out of all these teachings that I was hearing. Zig Ziglar and John Maxwell and Dave Ramsey and Brian Tracy and Dennis Waitley and all these guys. I just started pulling out these, these golden nuggets that all of them were saying. Every one of them's got their own kind of little twist on it. 
But there are some things that you hear in every one of those programs. And I took that information, and then this is what I did. I actually did a Bible study on goal achievement. And I combined that information. And that's what I'm getting ready to share with you right now. In Isaiah chapter, um, chapter 32, verse 8, it says, The noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. So you plan it, and you put it into action. Make the plans, and put it into action. Now realize... Sometimes our, our plans need to be flexible because sometimes God may change our plans and that's okay. It doesn't mean that we don't set plans. It just means that when we need to adjust, we do. We adjust those plans. So, real quick as we go through this dream organizing process, and you may already have a dream in mind some of what we've said may have brought something up to mind. If you don't, here's what I encourage you to do. Just get out a notebook and begin to write. Or if you're a big computer person, you can type it up if you like. But just begin to write. Everything that you feel like God wants you to be, do, have, and give. Be, do, have, and give, and just begin to write those down. Let your mind run wild. Write down everything. This is what is called a brainstorming exercise, which means there are no wrong answers, okay? Everything you write down is okay. But then after you have done that, after you've exhausted that list, go back through those and begin to narrow down. What are those, those few focus goals in there? Matter of fact, I would encourage you, if you haven't gone through a similar process like this in the past, I would encourage you to narrow it down to one. One thing, and later you may be able to add some things, but narrow it down to one goal that you feel like God wants you to accomplish. And begin to write that down and work it through this process. Okay, I use an acronym of the word goals. And the G stands for the goal. Write down the goal. Now, again, if you are a type if you're a computer person and you like typing that down, that's okay, but I still encourage you to write it down. There's a psychological process that takes place when we write things down that does not happen when we type things out. So write it down. It makes, it makes a stronger imprint in our brains. And listen, this is not just good for individuals. This is good for churches. This is good for churches. I do, I do leadership trainings where I lead them through this process step by step of listing their what we call focus goals for a particu that particular congregation and then how to work through this process. So you want to write that down. You write down that goal. And you may ask the question, what is the purpose of reaching this goal? It's always good to have a reason for the goal. And you want it to be a God-given goal. You don't want it just to be a selfish goal. I'm not talking about just coming up with all this stuff that you want to do and leave God out of the picture. I'm talking about following God's lead in creating the picture. And you write it down. What is the purpose of reaching this goal? And will this goal help me reach my purpose? Whatever your purpose in life may be, or, or if you've got a general idea of what that is, of what God's wanting to do in your life, 
obviously this goal needs to take you closer to that. Now, you may have a goal of, I don't know, having a certain kind of car. And and I'm not putting that down. That's okay. But that may not be a goal that is necessarily going to take you closer to the purpose that God has for your life. Maybe it is. I don't know. Now, you may, you may want to go into traveling ministry where you travel around at different places and stuff like that. And, and in that case, you, you may need a certain kind of vehicle. You may need a vehicle where you can haul stuff in the back. And, and it, please don't... Uh, I'm not getting on the, the Jesse Duplantis um, thing here where you're, you're asking God for the, the, the newest, greatest, fastest jet in order to go places. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm just talking about having a goal of what's going to take you closer to fulfilling that purpose that God has for you in your life. So write down the goal. The O in the word goals stands for obstacles. Write down the obstacles that are in your way. What is keeping you from reaching that goal? Because there's probably something. If not, you would have already reached it, right? So what is in your way? What is keeping you from reaching that goal? And list those so that you can figure out a way to work through those obstacles. And that may be tough. It may be difficult. It may be a struggle. But that's okay. The cool thing about us working toward a goal is not just so much what you achieve in achieving the goal, but it's the person you become in the process. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, And we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. So as we go through those struggles... (laughs) Just grow through them. Realize that the suffering that you're going through in working toward what God is wanting to do in your life, realize that that suffering is producing perseverance in you. It's developing in you the ability to keep going, to keep moving, to keep going forward. And that perseverance develops character. It helps you to become a more godly person. It helps you to become more like Jesus, which is our goal as Christians as we're growing. We want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Guess what? Suffering helps us do that. I mean, we know what Jesus' ultimate goal was for us, right? Or His goal was to die on the cross for our sins. So that we could spend eternity with Him and the Father and all the saints that have gone on before us. Now, was all of that beautiful and pretty? No, it was very ugly at times. Matter of fact, dying on a cross was considered the single worst way to die. There was a lot of suffering in that. Don't think that our lives are going to be any different. We're going to suffer at times as we move forward toward the goal that God has called us to do. But that's okay. Because it produces perseverance and character and ultimately hope. And hope does not disappoint us. You realize as long as we've got hope, And the kind of hope that God gives us, 
we've got everything we need. We've got everything we need. Psychologist Shad Helmstetter says that everything done in the world is done by hope. By hope. And we've got to work through those obstacles to be able to do that. But they help us move forward. If you stop and think about it, a bird in flight, the biggest obstacle they typically face is the air, right? But yet without the air, what happens to the bird? He plummets to the ground. Work through those obstacles. <laughs> now, the A in the word goal stands for action steps. Now, here's the cool thing about the obstacles. We need at least one action step for each obstacle. What can we do in order to overcome that particular obstacle? No goal will come true without action. We've got to move forward. As you read through that Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, where we pulled out that summary of Abraham's life, so often it says in there, by faith, so-and-so did this. It talks about the action that they took. Oftentimes we think of, of faith and, and action as two separate things, but so often in the Bible I see them so married. They are combined. By faith, this is what we do. Faith is not just an intellectual agreement with something. Faith is trusting so much that we're willing to take the action that God wants us to take, even if it doesn't make sense to us. And so that A stands for taking that action. I love the passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I think the book of Philippians in and of itself is one of the greatest motivational books of all time, but especially the heart of that in this passage. And Paul is writing there and he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love that passage of Scripture because Paul is telling us, hey, it's not going to be a bed of roses. It's not going to be easy. Matter of fact, it's going to be a strain. But keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. Paul said, I keep pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Why did Jesus take hold of you? Now let me just say, ultimately is so that you could spend eternity with Him in heaven, but that's not the only reason. If the only reason that Jesus took hold of us was so that we could go to heaven, then why didn't He just zap us up as soon as we came out of the watery grave of baptism? We come forward, we say the great confession, we get baptized, and zoop, we just, we're just beamed up. Why didn't he do that? Because there's other reasons that Jesus took hold of you. He's got a purpose for you. He wants you to serve him, each and every one of us. If you are here and you have made a decision for Jesus, you have made a decision for ministry. Because that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We're all ministers. Now we may not all get up 
in the pulpit and, and, and preach sermons and, and, and that type of thing. But that's just one ministry. He's got a ministry for all of us. Each and every one of us. Jesus took hold of us for a reason. Press on and take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. And listen, you're going to fall flat on your face. Maybe often. Tomorrow night we're actually going to talk about how to fail forward. I'm going to talk a little bit about it tonight. You want to know, you want to know what the secret to success is? I'm going to share it with you. This, this is going to be worth your price of admission right here. Are you ready? The secret of success. If you fall down seven times, get up eight. That's it. If you fall down eight times, get up nine. The secret of success is getting up one more time than you fall down. That's it. The most common characteristic that all successful people have in common is failure. They have failed their way to success. Now, as Christians, we may define success differently than what many of them do, but the principle is the same. If you fall down seven times, get up eight. Matter of fact, Winston Churchill put it this way, success is going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. That's good stuff right there. Success is going from failure to failure without losing that God-inspired fire ignited deep within our soul that drives us to never settle, to live with passion, and to turn the world upside down. Because oftentimes, in the midst of our failure, we are very, very tempted to give up. And that is real failure. When we just give up and we stop and we never return back to that. It's okay to fail. Just do not lose the enthusiasm in the midst of that failure. Get up. Allow God to dust you off. Learn from it. And continue on. Now, the L in the word goals stands for a little bit of help. <laughs> we need help along the way. Listen, if you could achieve your goal without other people's help, it is too small of a goal. It takes teamwork to make the dream work, right? We need other people to help us along the way. Matter of fact, many people have gone much further in life than they thought they could because somebody else thought they could. Zig Ziglar put it this way, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you can rest assured that sucker didn't get there by himself. Right? He had some help somewhere along the way. Regardless of where you are in life, you've had help along the way. And probably many of you, if not all of you, are thinking right now of names of people that have helped you along the way. Maybe they helped you get a job. Maybe they helped you get into college. Maybe it was a teacher in, in grade school or high school or even college that kind of showed a special interest in you. Maybe it was a minister or a youth minister that showed special interest in you. Man, I could stand up here and I could give names. I told you all the other night about Jack Bunch, the minister that grabbed me by the shoulders and stood me right beside him. You know what? 
And I'm not saying I'm going to land. I've still got a long way to go. I'm still growing. But I would have a longer way to go if it had not been for Jack Bunch. Later on, we had a minister come into our church by the name of Monty Cooper. Monty Cooper, when I was 15, sat down with me and helped me write my first sermon I ever preached. (laughs) We sat down and together we prepared a 20-minute sermon. Now, I preached it in all of about two and a half minutes. (laughs) But we prepared a 20-minute sermon. Don Thee, another minister that was in our church, when he found out I wanted to go into ministry and wanted to go to Bible college, he took several days out of his life from his family and from other things that that he had to do. He took those out and he gave me a tour of different Bible colleges. You know what? Without those guys and many others that I could list, I wouldn't be where I am. And like I said, I've still got a long way to go, but you know what? I've still got people pouring themselves into me. And as long as I've got that, I'll continue to move forward. And I've also gotten to the point where I'm beginning to pour myself into others as well. feels good to be able to pay that forward, to be able to do for others what others have done for me. Because we need other people if we're going to follow a God-sized dream. And then the S in the word goals stands for set a date. Set a date. When is this goal going to come true? When is this going to be accomplished? Now listen, as I said earlier, sometimes we may have to adjust that plan. Sometimes we may need to adjust that date. And that's okay. But that doesn't mean that we don't go ahead and set it. Because goals are really just dreams with dates on them. That's what goals are. And if we do not put a date on our dreams, it's very easy to become just a wish that eventually fades away and we forget all about it. So write down your goal, write down your obstacles, write down your action steps, write down the little bit of help, the people that are going to help you accomplish that goal, and then set a date. Because remember in Isaiah 32.8, it says that the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands. The noble man are those that make the plans. They they lay out those God-given plans to reach that God-given goal. And then you begin to put those plans into practice. So what if you mess up? Matter of fact, go ahead and release that. You're going to mess up, okay? Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. It's not something you're going to avoid. Just learn from it and continue pressing on. Press on and take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Because we, won't, we don't want to live this mediocre life. We don't want to live the average status quo mundane life because God has something bigger for us. And again, I'm not pointing that at any individual. I don't know you guys that well. You may already be in that process of following that God-given dream. But I believe it needs to be said because so many of us Just settle for the mundane life. And God's got so much more in store for us. 
When I was researching for goals, and that, by the way, that's the subject of my book that's back there, I came across a poem by William Arthur Ward, and I would like to close with this poem, if that's all right. It's titled, I Am a Winner. It goes this, goes this way. I am a winner because I think like a winner, prepare like a winner, and perform like a winner. I am a winner because I set high but attainable goals, work toward those goals with determination and persistence, and never stop until I reach them. I am a winner because I am strong enough to say no to those things that would make me less than my best and say yes to the challenges and opportunities that will make me grow and improve my life. I am a winner because total commitment is my constant companion and personal integrity is my lifetime mentor. I am a winner because I am learning to avoid the tempting shortcuts that can lead to disappointment and the unhealthy habits that could result in defeat. I am a winner because I, am, I have a well-earned confidence in myself, a high regard for my teammates and co-workers, and a healthy respect for those in authority over me. I am a winner because I have learned to accept criticism, not as a threat, but as an opportunity to examine my attitudes and to improve my skills. I am a winner because I persevere in the midst of obstacles and fight on in the face of defeat. I am a winner because I am made in the image and likeness of my Creator who gave me a burning desire, a measure of talent, and a strong faith to attempt the difficult and to overcome the seemingly impossible. I am a winner because of my enthusiasm for life, my enjoyment of the present, and my trust in the future. Listen, guys. God didn't create us to be losers. Matter of fact, when all is said and done, we get to be the ultimate winner. When we experience heaven in all of its glory, and we get to be up there with all the saints that have gone on before us, with those that we read about in the Scripture, with Jesus Himself. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to that day. I am excited. No, I am enthusiastic about that day when I get to enter the kingdom of heaven because I believe that it is an immeasurably more than I could ever ask for or ever imagine. I cannot explain to you how great heaven is going to be. But while I'm still here, I'm going to press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I encourage you to join me on that journey.